0: All right, well, you missed it this morning for watching the video because we've just had a lot of fun at Christie's sake for uh, uh, the second coming and leaving us because there was a video. So, anyway, uh, if you want to turn with me this morning, we are in John, the Gospel of John, New Testament, chapter 4, as we're going to dig in there with the story about Jesus and his interaction. Uh, so, turn there with me, I'll be reading out a New American Standard. Um, Did you guys hear about the little six-year-old boy who was sitting in the service with his dad and his mom and the rest of the family, and the pastor had an unusually long, lengthy sermon that Sunday? Of course, you guys have never experienced that, right? But at the end of the, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. So at the end of the service, as most young six, seven, eight-year-old boys that have to sit in a church service during a sermon, ask the question they always ask sooner or later, he's like, Dad? What does the preacher do the rest of the week when he's not talking? And the dad says, well, son, he's a very busy man. You know, he takes care of the church business. He visits the sick and those in, in prison. He has Bible studies. He studies a lot. He, he has to rest up so he can prepare for Sunday. And, and, you know, he just says, you know, preaching in public like that is just not an easy job. So the, the, the pastor is a very busy man and that's, he's got a very difficult job in preparing that sermon for us every Sunday. The little boy thought about it for a minute, looked back to dad and said, Well, it's a pretty tough job to listen to it, too, Dad. (laughs) That one was funny, funny, I think. Only because it probably had a little too close to home, doesn't it? (laughs) that super funny for you, too. It wasn't that funny for me, but (laughs) I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. So, hopefully the sermon today won't be too hard to listen to or too lengthy, but... uh, We are dealing with one of the most dreaded words in all of Christendom this morning. It's that dreaded... There's a couple of them, right? You probably have a couple coming to mind about, I hope he's not preaching (laughs) about this or about this or about this again. Uh, It's that dreaded word. It starts with an E. Evangelism. Right? Doesn't that just make you excited when you hear that word this morning? I mean, hopefully you had a few hints with the verse, the thought for the day, uh, the video they didn't play, and all the stuff that uh, we've been talking about, uh, evangelism and, and God leading us and reminding us of the importance of sharing the gospel. But it's interesting, even the bravest and sometimes the most grounded Christians have trouble sharing their faith, don't they? I mean, do you? Do you have trouble sharing your faith with others? Uh, All of us at one time have that struggle, especially to share with those around us and those that we work with and those that we just meet. But Jesus' command at the end of Matthew, in fact, his final command to us before he went to uh, uh, be crucified and, and rise from the grave, his final command was to go and make disciples, to share the word of God to the ends of the earth and to make disciples. In essence, Jesus said we are supposed to be fishers of men. But the problem is we have become keepers of the aquarium. <laughs> right? Uh, Stephen Shepherd, Steve Shepherd. I didn't get that originally. I kind of borrowed it. He wrote an article called Seeking and Saving the Lost. He puts it this way. He says, in the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. We've turned the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally, we take fish from your fishbowl and your fishbowl, <laughs> and we put them in our fishbowl. And eventually, you take some of the fish from my fishbowl, and you put them in your fishbowl and your fishbowl. He says, but the problem is we're all tending the same fish in the fish bowl. Sounds kind of familiar, does not (laughs) it? Sad and familiar. Well, there's nothing wrong with tending fish. That's why you have pastors to tend the fish. But we shouldn't stop there. We should be not living for, in essence, our own existence and our own growth, but for the growth and salvation of others. That we should be not focusing on just swapping and trading fish from other fish bowls or churches, but actually bringing new people to salvation and discipling them in what God has blessed us with. This morning in John 4 we're going to look at Jesus, because Jesus is a good example of a lot of things, but he's a great example of evangelism. And he's going to give us three things this morning in John chapter 4 that will hopefully challenge us. First is this, Jesus went to difficult places. Second, he talked to difficult people. Of course none of you or anyone watching the video is a difficult person, so let's just kind of, you know, all be happy and Good with that and then the third thing is that jesus dealt with difficult issues he dealt with the hard things some people call them the hard sayings of jesus as he confronts sin and deals with the real issues in our life to bring us salvation so let's dig in and read about jesus in john chapter 4 verses 1 to 26 and it says this therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees had heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john even though Jesus didn't baptize them. that His disciples did. Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now that verse is key. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city in Samaria, which is called Sikar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave the well to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat down thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour, just so you know, is noon. It's in the heat of the day. And again, you gotta remember, they are kind of out in the arid desert, and it's noon, it's the hot part of the day. Most people, whether you're in Mexico or in the desert, when it's the heated part of the day, where are they? They're in the shade, they're in siesta, right? So Jesus shows up, he's been walking all morning, he's here at noon, He's wearied and tired from the heat and all the dust, and he sits down at this well, which provided cool water. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who it, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to Jesus, sir, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And as well as his sons and their livestock and jesus said to the samaritan woman whoever drinks of this water will what will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water i shall give him will never thirst but the water that i shall give him will become like in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life the woman said to him sir give me some of this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw and Jesus said to her go call your husband and come here and a woman said um, I have no husband and Jesus said to her you have said well you have no husband so but you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband And you have spoken truly and the woman said to Jesus sir I perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped in these mountains and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship and Jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father you worship what you do not know we worship what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth And the woman said to Jesus well I know that The Messiah is coming the one who is called the Christ when he comes he will tell us all things and Jesus said to her I who speak to you am he let's stop there dig into this wonderful little 26 verses with the great impact that it has for us in the world of dealing with people as Christians and the world of evangelism number one Jesus went to difficult places Well, we know that because he went to the cross, right? That was a pretty rough place to go to. But during his ministry and lifetime, he also went to difficult places, especially as a Jewish man. You see, going to Samaria was not common for a Jewish person. But Jesus makes the comment in verse four that he needed to go to Samaria. Now that may not seem much if you don't know biblical history. That's like saying, well, I need to go to Provo. Well, big deal, right? What's the big thing? But in this time in history, um, to go to Samaria Samaria was almost like going to an unclean place, an unsettled place, a a sultry place, a place where good people, good Jews just didn't go. Now, the question is, a lot of theologians, they get into verse 4 where Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria. They argue, and here's the argument. Did Jesus need to go to Samaria because he was in a hurry to get to where he was going and that was the shortest route? Or did Jesus go to Samaria because he knew he had a divine appointment with a woman who was a sinner and needed salvation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, the that's the answer. That's the Sunday school answer. And that's the right one. You see, Jesus would go to wherever he needed to go to bring someone to salvation. Even if it was culturally unacceptable now amazingly theologians can't agree on what we just agreed upon this morning some still say well no that was the right way and others say no it was about bringing a woman to salvation but jews avoided samaria and the reason they avoided samaria was this the northern kingdom of israel was exiled to assyria and the assyrian king left the few jewish people in that nation they captured it and then they brought in other people from other nations as they captured them and those people and the jews all began to intermarry now intermarrying was a major no-no that the jews were not supposed to do so in essence what they created was a new culture of the jewish people and these other nations that had intermarried and became to be called samaritans well this is not politically correct but at that time the Jewish people would have looked at the Samaritans and kind of had another name for them, the name that we've seen in our past history in the United States, that of called half-breeds, right? And it carries the connotation that, well, you know, God's people were divinely chosen by God and they are full-blooded Jewish lineage and I can go through my lineage and prove my lineage and I am one of God's chosen race, but so-and-so met with somebody in a woodpile and kind of went off on their own and did some naughty naughty and now we have a child that is not pure blood not purebred they're a half-breed now that's kind of a hard thing to hear with all our inclusiveness that we hear about these days right and it's also challenging to us because most of us who are hearing this message are not pure bloods in any sense of our ancestors, are we? We are not only not half-breeds, we're like 10th-breeds and 5th-breeds and quarter-breeds. We're part of a culture that has been intermarried with different cultures again and again and again, and has been completely acceptable. Well, for the Jewish person at this time, being that pure blood, that Jewish race that could be traced back to their ancestry, back to Father Abraham, was tremendously important. And these people had been seen as a people who had despised God's command and did what God told them not to do and intermarried. Now here's the interesting thing. This is kind of like the issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees. That the Pharisees (laughs) loaded laws upon laws upon laws upon the people's lives and yet the Pharisees didn't even keep the laws themselves, did they? Here, culturally, the Jews are looking down upon the Samaritans as being such horrible people, such horrible half-breeds, and yet the majority of the truth is the Jewish nation was sinning just as bad or worse as these people were, weren't they? They were just of a single lineage. There are places in our world that aren't real appealing, aren't there? I mean, I think on the way to church that uh, how many of us would be excited to uh, go down to Walmart and buy a $20 tent and go camp out behind Walmart in Tent City with the homeless for a week or two or three weeks until we got moved out? Wouldn't that be an exciting vacation? Isn't that what you want to do for your vacation is go and live in a tent city with the homeless? Well, we wouldn't go there. There are places in the world where people will not go because Christians are not accepted there, neither are Americans, they're looked down upon Americans. I remember when the boys were little and they were going to the uh, mission trip in Mexico that Christy and I came under a lot of fire because at that time people were losing their heads in Mexico Mexico because of the drug trade and and all that was going on in the drug lords and, and the rest of the family was like, you can't send your children to Mexico because it's not safe for Americans. Forgetting the fact that God takes care of people, right? There are places that we go every day that depending on the circumstance may not be acceptable or a fun place to look to. For example, y'all go to work every day to do what? To work, right? How many of you go to work to share the gospel? Oh well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay, now we're hitting a little too close to home. I you know, I mean it's called work, and so I go to work to do what work is says and that's to work I don't go there to share the gospel and Jesus's question would be well why not it's a perfect setting you have a captive audience right they can't just leave you can get fired but you're still gonna go through the exit interview and you can share Christ again right we have those places here that when it comes to sharing the gospel or going to are kind of unsightly and we just kinda of don't want to venture there in our mind right like the workplace being a place Not just to work, but to share the gospel of Jesus. And in our society, because of the taboos of inclusivity and laws and stuff, it becomes another bigger issue. Why do we need to share the gospel? Why do we need to go to difficult places? And by this way, when I say to go to a difficult place, that doesn't mean to go to a place to put yourself purposely in danger just to see if God will take care of you. But going to a difficult place is going to those places where... People maybe don't live and act and talk like you do. They don't have the same outlook on life. Maybe some of you have those neighbors. Maybe some of you have them in family, right? Friends. Their lifestyle is radically different. They don't believe in Jesus as Savior. In fact, some of them don't even believe in heaven or hell, right? They don't want to hear that religious humbug, right? They don't want to talk about that. We need to go to where the non-Christians are because it's like this. I love fish. I really love fish, and I love to eat fish. Now, the easy way for me to eat fish is to go to Smith's or Harmons, right? But I still have to go to where the fish is. Now, if I want fresh fish, what do I have to do? <laughs> I have to prepare, get my tackle box, get my bait, get my rod, get in my car, go to where the fish are. Right? Bummer. Bummer, yeah. <laughs> Beyond God's creation, it's it's horrible. Someone's just gotta do it. But the thing is, if the fish were coming to me and jumping and dying, just, ah, dying, just to be on my hook, that would be called catching. <laughs> and I would be catching all the time, right? But that's not how it works. I have to go out to where the fish are. And what I've discovered is sometimes I go to a lake or a stream or river, And I think I know where the fish are, and I try, and I try, and guess what? The fish aren't there. So I have to find where the fish are. Now, Jesus called us to be fishers of men, like Peter. It's kind of a crazy thought to think, well, here we are the church, we have this great good news. If people will just come and hear it, they can have so much. Well, that's true, but most of those people Aren't just marking their calendar saying hey the next three weeks let's just pick a church and go to huh I mean some of us have been there before pre salvation right didn't you want to get up on a Sunday morning instead of sleep in and go to church some of you still don't want to do that do you (laughs) I mean you'd love to be sleeping in this morning right we still don't want to do that even with salvation the fact is We would like to believe and think that people would just run to churches to hear the gospel message, to come to salvation, to join us, to be with us, but that's just not the truth, is it? And so Jesus calls us at the end of Matthew to go out, to leave the safety of our church and our home where things are all nice and the way we have it and we all kind of talk the same language and have the same jokes, to go out to those other places that aren't like us because that's where the people are that need to hear the gospel. A few years back, you remember when we worked with the Rescue Mission and we had so many of the guys going through the program at the Rescue Mission that would come here, I remember talking to a lot of them and asking them the question of why did they feel comfortable coming to our church versus other churches? And their answers were always interesting and compelled me to make sure that we kinda had a casual setting because most of those men had been down and out with alcohol or drugs or divorces or child custody charges or just stupid mistakes in their life and they had ruined their life and they were starting again. And they came from difficult places. Some of them, many of them had grown up in difficult home settings and they weren't the um, in-crowd settings in the culture, right? And they said to come to our church, they didn't have to dress up in a suit every day. They didn't have to wear a white-pressed shirt with a nice white-pressed tie and tie-tack. And that was appealing. The other thing was, that was appealing was they had some had gone to other churches, and they said that after the church, when people would get together and to talk, they were always talking about their great promotion or the great vacation they had gone on or the great things and how they were getting a bonus, and these guys were just starting off and had nothing and they said they felt so uncomfortable to be in these churches that interestingly the conversation among the men after the church was how great their career was and what they could do with all their money and they were uncomfortable because they didn't have any money they didn't have great things they couldn't take these massive great vacations to Costa Rica and Ecuador and South America they couldn't do that so the casualness of a relaxed setting, but still focused on the truth of God's gospel appealed to them. Because they could, in essence, not be judged here. And you don't know what it's like to be judged. I mean, you don't have to have someone just say, well, we just think you're an idiot or stupid. You just have to stand around sometimes when other people are talking, and as they're talking about how great they are and what God's done with them and how wonderful things are, and, you know, they have all this and their brand new car, and you're just feeling like, I can't compare myself to that. I don't even have a car, much less a home, much less an apartment. I don't have anything. I'm living in a shelter on a borrowed bed, wearing borrowed clothes, eating donated food. I don't have any of that. And they didn't feel belittled here. Jesus went to a difficult place. He went to the place where the fish were. The sinners and it wasn't that good Jewish place called Jerusalem he had to go away from that to the place where the unsightly people were so he went to Samaria Samaria number two Jesus dealt with difficult people again we see in verse 9 if you look there it says then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus how is it that you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan woman for a drink, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, culturally in this setting, these two cities were far apart for a reason. It wasn't just because of Samaritans were considered quote, half-breeds, there was an animosity between them and there was a tremendous amount of bigotry, bigotry and prejudice between the two cultures. As Jews would look upon Samaritans, it was almost the fact that, well, if you were around a Samaritan or went through Samaria, you became spiritually unclean. And you would have to go through a process to be spiritually clean to be back in the synagogue again because these people were such horrible, horrible sinners. In our world, we still have some of this prejudice, don't we? Our world fights it, but it's still there. We have nations that hate nations just because the skin color is different, or the way they live is radically different. Fact is, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other and wanted nothing to do with each other. And this woman and Jesus should have never been talking. This conversation culturally should have never, ever taken place. And if everybody knew that it had taken place, oh my gosh, can you imagine? The scuttlebutt and the talking behind people's backs about, do you know where Jesus went and who he talked to? Can you believe that man? I mean, that's the setting that we're in right here. The woman, it's interesting, I think is talking to Jesus because I think she's so caught off guard that Jesus would even speak to her. She doesn't know what to do. So here's a Samaritan woman who is, to a Jew, not even supposed to be being talked to much less in a culture at that time a woman was not equal to a man you typically didn't just talk to a woman even in jewish culture but now here's a samaritan woman and not only is it that she's samaritan and she's a woman she's out at the well getting water when at noon in the heat of the day well if you dig back in your Bible history, you know when the women of the village would all gather together and go get water? they do it in the morning. Do you know why? It was cool. It was cool. I mean, you had to trek out of the city, into the desert, to the well. You had to manually haul up buckets of water, put them in your vessel, strap them on your neck, and carry them back to the city. That's some pretty serious hard work, right? Just to have water for the day. So the women would gather together in the morning, kind of like a little ladies' social club, you know, and they'd all get together and go out to the well and some would draw water and then they'd take turns and they'd chit chat about the family and what kind of you know, bread they were making for lunch and you know all this stuff. They'd have their little social time and then they'd put all their, their jugs of water back on and they would haul them back to the city. And it was a social event well this woman was not part of that social event why do you think that was because even in her own city not only was she an outcast to the jews in her own city she was an outcast the simplest way to put it was she kind of slept around right jesus confronts her and says you know go get your husband come back come talk to me she's like well don't really have a husband and Jesus is like yeah that's a true statement we'll get to that in a minute the cool thing is as this interaction this conversation should have never culturally taken place it did that's what's so cool about Jesus it did he went to a difficult place where the Jews were not supposed to go and he dealt with difficult people You know, those people that you're not supposed to be around. Remember, hearing that as a kid, your parents always told you that, right? Or at least mine did. You shouldn't be hanging around those kids because they're what? They're bad influence. They're trouble with a capital T, right? Don't be around those kids, you know? Well, Jesus went out to see those kids. And he went out to meet with this woman. And Jesus had no such bias. In fact, if you look and read through the story and picture it in your mind, he just sits down where she's at and they start having a conversation like she's a normal person, like they've known each other for 50 years and been best friends. Isn't that amazing? Now think about that in our life of evangelism. There are those places in our life that are difficult places to go to share the gospel, but God calls us to do it. And Jesus gives us the example to do it. There are those people that honestly we want to pray for them, but not to go to heaven sometimes right because they just kind of hit us the wrong way But Jesus says go to them even though they're different than you and don't see them for who they are See them for who they can be in salvation See them as Jesus sees them as a work in progress something that's a little broken and needs fixed you know, I think about my car. When it's broken, I hate it because it don't work and it doesn't do what I want it to do. But you know when it's fixed, I love it because it takes me to places and does things. When we see people, that's how Jesus sees people. Sinners are broken people that need a savior to put them back together and make them work. And when they work, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. In fact, all of us who are hearing this message were once one of those broken pieces, weren't we? We were one of those broken people until Jesus came to us and brought us salvation and made us whole through him. Our wholeness is not of ourselves, our wholeness comes through Jesus. So we need to share with those people But when we look at them, not look at the physical state they're in or where they're at or how they're living their lifestyle but look at them the fact that if god got a hold of them and loved them like he loved us and brought them salvation maybe that would be the person that god would use to change the world maybe i'll tell you the story about ted stallard as we think about this ted was a young boy that was really turned off by school he was sloppy in appearance he didn't have a lot of good clothes he was pretty expressionless and wasn't very attractive he wasn't one of the cool kids in fact Ted was kind of slow as a kid um, oftentimes he just sit in class and just kind of stare off into space not paying much attention to the teacher or the or the lesson for the day or the books or even the other kids well there was miss Thompson Ted's teacher and Kind of selfishly, Miss Thompson actually took a lot of joy in grading Ted's papers because she could take that wonderful big red pen and mark an X and a giant F with a circle around it to give back to Ted. You see, Ted was slow and not like her other good students in class, and she actually took a little joy in making sure that he knew that he was a failure. Sometimes we do that, don't we? It's too bad that she didn't study Ted's school records more carefully, which read this First grade, Ted shows great promise with his work and attitude, but he's really got a poor home situation. School is his only relief. Second grade, Ted could do better, but his mother is seriously ill and he receives no help or guidance from his father at home, and they're not very wealthy. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but he's just too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mother died this last year. Fourth grade. Ted is very slow, but he's well-behaved. His father shows no interest and cares nothing about him whatsoever. Kind of begins to change the picture about Ted, doesn't it? Well, as the story goes on, Christmas arrived in fifth grade. The children all piled their elaborately wrapped presents on the desk for Mrs. Thompson to open up and enjoy. When Ted brought his up, it was simply wrapped up in a makeshift paper bag from the grocery store and held together by scotch tape, and not very well at that. And when Miss Thompson opened each gift to the children, she oohed and awed, and the kids came around to watch and everything. And as Ted placed his package on her desk, it happened to hit the desk and then fall off. And because it was so loosely wrapped up, a very gaudy looking rhinestone bracelet fell out that was obviously used and worn. In fact, half of the rhinestone was even missing. And next to that was a little bottle of cheap perfume that fell on the floor. Well, the children began to laugh and snicker because they knew that what Ted gave Mrs. Thompson wasn't new. In fact, it was obvious it was used and he had to get it from someplace else. Mrs. Thompson reluctantly saw the situation going on and for the first time had a little heart change in her life. So she picked up the bracelet and she put it on her wrist and she looked at it and said, how lovely. And then she took a little bit of perfume and dabbed it on her wrist and on her neck and she let each child smell it before they sat down and went back to class. The end of class came and all the kids left and Ted walked up to Mrs. Thompson And he said, Mrs. Thompson, that bracelet looks lovely lovely on you. It's really pretty. And you know what? You smell just like my mom smelled. Mrs. Thompson, after Ted left, got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her for having such a bad attitude towards Ted and being so hard-hearted and calloused That she couldn't see that this little boy in her class was slow because of a family situation. He wasn't slow because he wanted to be or anything else. He was slow because he didn't have the means the other kids have and the things that he gave to Mrs. Thompson were probably the most treasured things that he had from his mom. Well, school went on and he graduated fifth grade and he went on to graduate high school and Mrs. Thompson kind of forgot about it, and went on with life teaching, and so did all the other school kids. And then surprisingly, one day, Mrs. Thompson got a note. She opened the note and it was from Ted. He said, Mrs. Thompson, just wanted you to know I graduated second in my class in college. Love Ted. Four years later, she got another another note. Said, Mrs. Thompson, I just wanted to let you know I graduated first in my class, the university has not been easy, but I do like it. I just wanted you to know because you helped me so much, love Ted. Four years later, another letter arrived. Mrs. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? Pretty crazy, huh? Said I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm also getting married next month, on the 27th to be exact, and I wondered if you could come sit where my mother would have sat. You see, you're the only family I have now because Dad died last year, you come to the wedding and sit where my mother sat. Mrs. Thompson attended the wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. Thinking about that one simple act of compassion changed a young man's life. That one simple act of caring and seeing a person different than what she had seen for weeks and weeks and weeks. You see, when Jesus went to a difficult place in Samaria, and he talked to a difficult person, that young Samaritan woman that was an outcast by her own people, Jesus saw something in her besides an outcast. Jesus saw something in her besides all the names that even her own people called her. He saw who she could be in salvation. Number three, Jesus dealt with difficult issues. Probably the greatest impact that Jesus had with this woman wasn't just the fact he went to a difficult place or spoke to a culturally difficult person, an ostracized person, but Jesus, Dealt with difficult issues. He dealt with the issues, spiritual depravity, that, let's just face it, honey, you're out here at noon and all the other women aren't. You're an outcast of your own people. But you know what? We can see beyond that. Let's just face the fact of who you are, right? Let's just deal with who you are. Let's not candy coat it. Let's not ignore it. Let's just deal with who you are. And he deals with that and he begins to talk about living water, and you can see the woman's desire, her thirst for living water, can't you? Because when Jesus says, if you had living water, you would not thirst again. In fact, springs of living water would well up within you and outflow. And she says what? Give me this living water that I may not thirst again. Now she's still dealing on a physical aspect, right? It's noon in the desert. I'm hauling up water by myself. I got to carry it back. Jesus is beginning to deal with a spiritual issue in her life. But he deals with the fact that she is in spiritual depravity. She is a sinner. She needs a savior. Number 2, Jesus dealt with the personal issues going on in her life. He said, "Go and get your husband." And she says, "What? I don't have a husband." And Jesus says, "Huh? You're right. In fact, you've had 5 unhusbands." Right? and the one you have now is not your husband here's the amazing thing do you read in John chapter 4 where Jesus puts her down where he belittles her where Jesus says you have got to be kidding me how could you make some kind of bonehead decision like that what were you thinking do you see where Jesus says any of that actually what happens in the story that's so beautiful jesus in essence commends her for being honest he commends her for with a total stranger a culturally unacceptable person says you know what um i'm not married and i'm not with who i should be with and jesus says you've said honestly the thing jesus is seeking here is If the woman can't be honest with herself, how could she be honest with God or anybody else? Don't we tiptoe around those issues? About really being honest? Even when we're talking with other people, it's so easy to put them down, isn't it? It's so easy to condemn them or write them off, and you know, I struggle with that myself. But Jesus deals with her sin issue He doesn't bash her, in fact, he compliments her for her honesty. And then he turns the tune back to God, that of worship. Because now she's kind of hooked, isn't she? This man who shouldn't be speaking to her is speaking to her, and he's speaking to her like a regular human being. In spite of her honesty and even saying, this is who I am, okay? I'm not pretty. And neither is my life Jesus continues to talk with her and to share with her and now they come to the point of worship and Jesus wraps this whole package up with a bow in dealing with difficult issues and they talk about worship and she says well I know what's supposed to happen let me ask you this most people that you talk to when it comes to evangelism do they know about this person called God in heaven and hell whether they want to believe it or not do they know about this Have they heard about it of course they have but what jesus does is he says there's coming a time when you won't go to this place to worship or this place in fact as god is spirit you'll worship god in spirit and in what else truth which the woman was just truthful wasn't she she's halfway there can you see the picture she's halfway there you worship in spirit and in truth, all she needs to add to the truth is what? The Spirit. And Jesus leads her up, and in verse 25 and 26, the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called to Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And here's what Jesus does. He says, I'm the one you speak of. In essence, salvation's here for you right now. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. And I don't know about you, but I often find in evangelism, sometimes I can even share the gospel and share all that, and we can talk about religious issues and heaven and hell, but it's putting that final stamp on there of what are you waiting for? Do you wanna pray and accept Jesus now in salvation? Isn't that sometimes the hardest part? What do we think we're gonna do, break them? Well, hopefully, right? Hopefully they're broken and humbled for God because that's the kind of person that God can use. You see, Jesus just looks at her and says, let's do this thing right now. You need a Savior. I'm here. You've got the truth. Let's add the Spirit. Let's get you saved. Now, we don't read how Jesus did that. If he went through the four spiritual laws with her, if he said the sinner's prayer with her, we don't get the luxury of seeing that in the Bible, do we? But we do get the luxury of seeing the impact of the salvation that I believe Jesus gave her. Because she goes running back to the city, unashamed, completely changed, confident, excited, not caring what people think about her, running back saying, You have to see this man. You have to know him. Come and see this man who spoke truth to me and changed my life. We see a radical change, don't we? And if you read down in the story, as the people are coming to see Jesus, they get to a point they're saying, we don't need to hear the woman's testimony anymore because we have heard it from you and we believe too. Radical impact of one life changed in Jesus. It changed the whole city, it changed the whole culture. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Jesus puts us in the crossroads of people that could be just like that. Maybe we're not good at evangelism, maybe that's not our gift, but maybe we will share the gospel with someone and pray with them to come to salvation in Jesus, and Jesus will ignite an evangelistic fire under them that they will run out in the world like this woman did and say, you have got to meet Jesus. He will change your life. Maybe God gives us that blessing being that person, that catalyst in a person's life, to bring them to Jesus. That Jesus is saying, that's my evangelist right there. I just need to meet him. Can you introduce me? You see, really what happens here isn't so hard. I've made it pretty hard, haven't I? Difficult place, difficult people, difficult issues. When it really breaks down to this. You know what Jesus did with this woman? conversation that's really all he did he had a conversation and he treated her with dignity and worth and value he didn't judge her he spoke truth to her but he treated this woman that everyone else cast out with dignity and love and value and he had a simple conversation with her and kids, here's what I want to share with you. Evangelism is really just that having a simple conversation with someone, Jesus would care for them, and seeing value in them like Jesus sees value in them. That's what it is. That's really as hard as it gets today. So, what's the practical application of today's message? Woo, here we go. <laughs> it's fun time. You what know, do you think it is? Road trip to Samaria. Road trip to Samaria. <laughs> Whatever your Samaria is, pack your bags, kids, because here you're going. My ask is that you try and share the gospel message of Jesus with one person this week. Just one. And that ask is this. Just have a simple conversation with them. If they accept, you just had the pleasure of ushering someone into heaven that you'll see for all eternity. If they reject, it's not on you. It's their decision. Even Jesus gives us that freedom, and that integrity, doesn't he? But sometimes we're seed planters, we're not the harvesters. Sometimes we are the harvesters. But try and share the gospel message with one person this week, and be like Jesus and just saying, hey, do you wanna just pray with me now? Do you wanna meet my friend Jesus? You see, that's the other cool thing, that when we introduce someone to Jesus, it's kinda like introducing our best friend, isn't it? I mean, we're just saying, hey, I've got this really cool guy. He wears sandals and a robe, and he has long hair, but he's really pretty cool. You want to meet him? That's really kind of what it is, isn't it? It's us who make it so hard, isn't it? It's us who make it so hard because of pride and that big word that goes with pride. Do you know what it is? Fear. What will they think of me what if I fail what if what 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 and let's just take that out because there's no fear in Christ is there if God is with us we can do all things in Christ strengthens us let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for your amazing message of salvation to a fellow sinner Lord, that you didn't have the bigotry and the prejudice and the bias that you could see beyond the circumstance of her life's choices and not see her for who she was at the moment, but see her for who she could be in the kingdom of God. Just as you saw that in us when you came to us in salvation. Lord, give us eyes to see, and ears to hear, and mouths to speak. Give us that same outlook as we come to deal with other people who were once, who were like we were once, failed and broken and in need and in sin and in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct our conversations and our thoughts this week and help us just to be open to have those simple conversations, to introduce them to you. And to possibly have the miraculous pleasure of ushering a person into your arms into heaven for all eternity. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name.